Thanks for joining us at Warehouse Church. We would love for you to stay connected, and a great way for you to do that is to simply subscribe to this podcast. You can also stay connected throughout the week by checking out our website, warehousechurch.com, or by visiting our Facebook or Instagram pages. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged by this week's message. But uh, we have had a great time doing our Summer of Love. Today is our last day of this series. And I want to tell you something we're going to be starting next week. And I'm super duper duper excited about it. I'm starting a series next week called Rooted. And what we're going to be talking about, there's a key verse in the book of Colossians that says, Rooted and built up in him and established in our faith. I think we are as believers, being pummeled by our culture and society today. And we've got to know not only what we believe, but why we believe it. And it's all going to be based on the Word of God. It's going to be, I'm super excited about it. I got the first three messages kind of planned out a little bit. I really look forward to getting in there deep with you next week. Starting next week, a great series called Rooted. I hope you'll plan on being uh, here to be a part of that. And to kind of like spin off of that a little bit, with this message I'm going to be doing today... Uh, I actually called it the name of that song. That's why I use that song called I Know This Much Is True. Um, because it's the last week of this series, this, this, it's kind of neat because there's, there's different books of the Bible that have different uh, crescendos, decrescendos, if you will. Good music term there, Miss Lindsay, for you right there, okay? But this one kind of finishes really, really, really strong. And it finishes off with some verses that if you have a Bible with you, I'm going to ask you to circle those verses, underline them. As the book of Deuteronomy says, write them on your forehead, write them on your hand, keep them in front of your eyelids because it will remove any doubt that you may have about your relationship with Jesus Christ. And we're going to hit those in just a second. But one of the things that has happened throughout this whole summer of us going through 1 John, the great thing is we've read the whole book of 1 John together, verse all the, from beginning all the way to the end when we finish up today, which I love that we've done that. And with this uh, message today, we're going we're gonna to understand something that's been taking place all month, and I've kind of alluded to it last week when I talked about the principle of repetition. All of our teachers understand what the principle of repetition is, right? We, we, we say it, we say it again, we say it again, we kind of do a, uh, if you grew up Catholic, uh, like many of my influences uh, did in my life, we went to something called catechism. We even had catechism when we moved over to uh, an independent church. And catechism is just you basically repeating things that you're taught over and over and over and over and over and over again. So you start remember it, start to remember it. You can recite it, but there's not always a whole lot of why to it, if that makes any sense. Uh, I remember uh, young in, in my uh, education process, I was one of those kids that teachers were very glad when he was going into the next grade. I was. I kind of, um, uh, I, I never got in trouble for being disrespectful. My parents said that your conduct and respect grades were the most important on your report card, so I applied that. And uh, because I also had some reading challenges at a very young age, and I didn't really understand them until I got old, I was just one of those kids at school that was just all over the place. My grades went up and down. I wasn't, I, I had ADHD, I, just all kind of weird things. But I, I did pretty good at math. Math was something I, I really did understand uh, at, a, at a young age. And I remember doing the, uh, the test, you'd get the piece, you get the, the sheet of paper from your teacher with like 100 math questions. And, you, and they would do a speed drills. Anybody remember the speed drill in math, okay? And, you know, 
one plus two all the way to, to nine plus nine, but all in a different order. And as fast as you got that done, you, you could move up and get a better grade on that class or whatever. And I did really, really good with that. And I remember one of the times, you know, we went through that. And just one week, the teacher switched up all of the numbers. She, she, you know, she copied the same thing every week. So you could memorize it. One week, she switched it up. And it jacked the whole class up. Because they didn't know the answer to the actual problem. What they did was they had answers that were put in order that they memorized. And that's what we have to be careful when it comes to understanding biblical truths, it's one thing to know that Jesus Christ is Lord, gave himself on the cross, died so that we could be forgiven, rose up from the grave three days later, right? It's, it's one thing to understand that as a historical fact. We understand as a historical fact that George Washington was the first president of the United States. We understand he had wooden teeth. I don't know why he had wooden teeth. I don't understand the splinter situation in the mouth. We understand that he learned an honesty thing with some kind of apple tree thing. You know, we, all, we know all these facts, but there's not a relationship there that can, that, that can validate those things. It's just historical accounts that we read. And we have to be careful that the Bible doesn't become just a historical account reading material for us, that we understand that the most significant part of all of this is the application. We read it, we hear it, we remember it, memorize it, but we also need to apply it to our lives. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So let me read for you uh, the last part of 1 John chapter 5 as we complete this reading together, verses 6 through verse number 21. And we read uh, 6 through 10 last week, but I want to go back because I'm going to refer to verses 6 through 10 again this week. Jesus was revealed as God's son by baptism in his water, by the shedding of the blood on the cross, not by water only, but by water and blood. And the spirit who is truth confirms it with his testimony. So we have these three witnesses, the spirit, the water, and the blood, and all three agree. Since we believe, since we believe human testimony, right, we believe things we hear from other people, surely we can believe the greater testimony that comes from God. And God has testified about his son. All who believe in the son of God know in their hearts that this testimony is true. Those who do not believe, those who do not believe this testimony, right, are actually calling God a liar because they don't believe what God said about his son. And this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have God's son does not have life. I'm, I've written this to you who believe in the name of the son of God. If you believe in the name of the son of God, say amen. amen. So this verse is for you. I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, ready for this church, so that you may know that you have eternal life. And we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. And since we know he hears us when we make our requests, we also know that he will give us what we ask for. If you see a fellow believer sinning in a way that does not lead to death, you should pray, and God will give that person life. But there is a sin that leads to death, and I'm not saying that you should praise for those who commit it. All wicked actions are sin, but not every sin leads to death. We know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning, for God's son holds them securely, and the evil one can't touch them. We know that we are uh, children of God, and that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. And we know the son of God has come, and he has given us understanding so that we can know the true God 
And now we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ. He is the only true God and he is eternal life. Dear children, keep away from anything that might take, uh, that might take you away from God's place in your heart. So let's just pray and ask God to bless his word, okay? Father, bless the reading of your word this morning. We know that you told us in the book of Revelations when we read your word, just by reading it, there is a blessing that happens in our lives. We pray a blessing over every man and woman in this room. We pray for unique understanding that can only come through your Holy Spirit. And we pray, Lord, that there would not only be understanding, that there would be personal application, that all of us would be drawn closer today because of things we're going to talk about from your word. We ask you this today in Jesus' name, amen. So let me give you some things today that I hope will be an encouragement in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, because there's some things that I want to share with you today that God wants you to know that are true. He wants you to know these things are true. He doesn't want you to doubt it. He doesn't want you to struggle with it. And, and, and there are times in our lives, and I've told this, I've said this publicly many, many times at church, I went through a faith journey myself where... Um, when I was about 12 years old, I accepted Christ as my Savior, but I really didn't give my life to Christ until I was about 22, 23 years old. And I just remember time after time again, I, every time I, got, I went to a Christian school when I grew up, and the best way, this is a good secret for anybody that goes to Christian school this morning for you, 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 will, you will learn by this. Uh, Aaron, teach your kids this as they get ready for school. It'll do them well. If you get in real bad trouble in Christian school and get saved, you almost don't get in trouble anymore. You know, and, and that happened to me all the time because they would say to me all the time, my teachers would say to me all the time, there's no way that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ because of what you did. And I started to process that. I'm like, you know what? If I agree with them and get saved again, I'm probably not going to get a detention. You're right. I'm really, really sorry. My dad's not saved. And, and, you know, I would say all these excuses, save myself from a whooping because back when I went to school, we got a whooping. Anybody else get a whooping in school growing up? I got hit one time. I got hit one time. True story. Not that any of you want to know this. I got hit one time by my teacher, Mr. Hamilton, 17 times with a paddle that had holes in it for aerodynamic effect. And when I turned around, and I did, and the thing is, if you got paddled, guys, you know that some of you girls are tougher than the guys are. The best way, the best way to pay back a teacher when you got a good whooping, you didn't cry. Right? And I'm like, I'm dying the whole time. And I turned around and both the teachers were bawling and I wasn't crying. I was like, yeah, boy, I'm a tough guy, right? If you knew you were getting paddled, you wore about four pair of gym shorts that day, but you did everything you had to do. And I'm not, and I'm not advocating that, but maybe I am. We'll just leave that alone, okay? But I remember I would say that, that became kind of a crutch for me to lean on. Well, if I get saved, I'm not going to get in as much trouble, right? And then when I got older, and I really started to understand that God is real, that God gave his son Jesus so, so that I could have my sins forgiven, right? And then that I, I gave my life to Christ. I went back to church. I got my life right with the Lord. But, you know, back in church, serving the Lord, taking my kids to church, listening and applying the messages, reading my Bible every day. I started my discipleship by memorizing Philippians chapter 2, a great, great passage of Scripture. If you want to memorize Scripture, phenomenal, phenomenal about who Jesus is, about he was a servant, he was obedient, and he was humble. Just a great passage of Scripture to memorize. But then I would mess up, be at the store, on the meat slicer, in the middle of lunchtime, 
took a knife, opened up a roll like this, like you shouldn't, and put a gash in the middle of my hand. And I said some things that I'm not going to say in church today. Anybody say anything they shouldn't say this week? Anybody got arrested saying anything they shouldn't say? I mean, you know what I mean, I'm saying. So, and those things happen. So, so what does Satan do? You can't be saved. He starts whispering lies because he is the father of all lies, right? You can't have a relationship with God and talk like that. You can't have a relationship with God and think like that. You can't have a relationship with God and have this hiccup in your life. You can't have a relationship with God and do this or say this or go there or be there. And what he tries to constantly do in all of our lives is cause us, listen, all the way back from the very first sin that took place in the Bible, he wants us to doubt God. And when we doubt God and we start to doubt ourselves, it's not that we don't believe, right, that Jesus died. It doesn't mean that we stop believing that that's true. But what happens is we start to look in the mirror and see our own frailty. We start to look in the mirror and see our own failures. We start to hear the lies from Satan. You're not good enough. You can't do that. You're nothing. You're this. You're this. And we start believing him instead of believing the security that we have in the relationship of God. And those seeds of doubt can really just spring up in your life and, and create, really it could create havoc when it comes to your personal walk with the Lord, right? So when we, when we read these things, and this is simple, I'm, I'm probably not going to share a new revelation with you this morning that you haven't heard before, especially if you've been here through the series through 1 John. This is simple, but it's, 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 it's very, very, very critical that we understand these principles this morning. Here's the first one. Very simply, Jesus is God. Last week, we talked about how there was a judicial term that was, gay, that, that was not only in the Old Testament, in the book of Leviticus, but also here when there were three witnesses, right? The spirit, the blood, and water. Those three gave testimony that Jesus is true. But then on top of that, a slam dunk says, God gave testimony. Here's what the word testimony means. God spoke it and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased when Jesus was baptized. Over and over again, during the life of Jesus, we see how God spoke publicly and confirmed and affirmed that Jesus Christ is God's son, right? And if we say that Jesus isn't real, if we doubt that Jesus isn't who he said he was, it's not just a personal uh, belief system we have to kind of deal with. It's also the fact that we are saying that God is a liar. You say, well, that, that sounds a little extreme. Well, look at it this way. You have a disagreement with somebody significant in your life, right? Um, that happens, right? My wife and I argue sometimes about things with the way we see things and the way that we, you know, perceive things and that, that are ha taking place in our life. And, um, and we were having an argument about something one day and we didn't agree with one another. And she just looked at me and she said, well, if you don't believe me, you're calling me a liar. I'm like, whoa, whoa, back up, sis. I'm just saying I don't agree with you. No, what you're saying is because you don't agree with me is you're saying that I'm a liar. And I had to process that a little bit. And I'm like, my wife was listening to church last week, that little stinker, <laughs> right? But it's true. If you say, if you say Jesus is not God's son, if you believe that Jesus did not die on the cross for your sins, if you believe that he did not resurrect himself from the dead, if you believe that he did not do that so that you can have a relationship with God, what you believe is that God lied about all that. That's kind of, those are fighting words a little bit, isn't it? You're calling me a liar, right? No, you're calling God a liar just by your own personal belief system. I don't think anybody here believes that way. I hope not. I hope that 
that you believe in these things, but Jesus is God. Now, the author of 1 John, in the very beginning part of this book, did the same thing he did when he wrote his gospel. Uh, he talked about in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the very same was in the beginning. We understand, and I'm not going to get into this super deep this morning, that the plurality of God, God say it with me, God the Father, God the Son, and what else? The Trinity, the triunity, the three persons of God existed in creation. And we read that through God's word when it said, let us make man in our own image. We read that in God's word when the Bible tells us that God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit always existed. So if we, we read that, we, we acknowledge that that's in the word of God. What we have to do is believe it. And not because we say it over and 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 over, and over again. But we apply it to our lives and make it truth. Number two, Jesus is God. The second thing is, circle it, highlight it, remember it, refer to it. Because if you don't deal with assurance of salvation in your personal walk with the Lord, I promise you, you know somebody that does. It's very, very common. Because we see our, like I said earlier, we see our own shortcomings. I'm very, very aware in my life where I fail. Not only do I know that because I know who I am, but Satan likes to remind me of that stuff all the time, okay? So let's read this again, verse 11 through verse 13. This is what God has said. This is what he testified. He has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son does not have life. Pretty simply put there, right? We don't... The great thing about a relationship with Jesus Christ that I, I just, I'm so, so thankful for this morning, it's not complicated. What's that song years ago? Why does everything have to be so complicated, right? We, you know what, let me tell you something. You know who complicates biblical t- Who sings that song? Alanis Morissette, she's awesome. Okay, so do you know who complicates, you know who complicates the Bible? and complicates biblical teaching and complicates these kind of things. You ready for this? Religion does. It really does. You say, wait a minute, aren't you a religious institution? Well, according to the IRS, we are. That's for sure, right? But here's the truth. Religion, a lot of religions, have attached all this extra stuff in order for you to have a relationship with God. And it started all the way back in in the New Testament. They had a big, big, big split in the church of 1 Corinthians, they, in, in Corinth, it's written about in 1 and 2 Corinthians, and a big, big, big split in the church of Galatia, written about in the book of Galatians. And I've talked to you this about this before if you've been here for any amount of time. Uh, they were, you know what they were fighting about? The people that were Jews that accepted Christ as Savior had a really hard time with non-Jewish people coming to know Christ as Savior and treating them as equals racism exists. Listen, this isn't the only place that racism has ever existed. It's existed all the way back in the beginning of the Bible. But anyway, when we read, when, when we understand that in, in the book of Galatians, the, the, the Jewish believers, they wanted these Gentiles, right? These people that weren't brought up Jews. They weren't circumcised on the eighth day of them being alive. They said, in order for you to be saved, you have to become Jewish first and then accept Christ as Savior. They said, so, if you want to be a believer, before you get baptized, you have to get circumcised. Now, they baptized people in salt water, so that was probably, woo, can you imagine that? Going from the circumcision to the salt water baptism, ah, 
right? And they, and they, I don't, listen, it's weird. It's weird to talk about it. I don't, I don't know how, you know, hey, are you, uh, okay, you're good to go. I, I don't know how that they qualified all that stuff. I just know that the Bible talks about it. So I'm talking about it with you this morning, okay? And these guys, these Jewish folks said, hey, listen, man, you got to know our traditions. You got to believe the Ten Commandments. You got to get circumcised. Then you believe Jesus Christ is your Savior. Then you can get baptized. And at that moment, ha, 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 you're saved. That's not true. Paul said, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but it's according to his mercy that he saved us. Here's the simplicity of a relationship with God because of Jesus Christ. You don't have to give money to the church in order to have a relationship with God. You don't have to give money towards missions. You don't have to give money to help other people. You don't have to do that. The reason we do that is because of our relationship with God and love for him and love for people, and love for missions, and love for ministry. That's, we do it out of response of our love towards him. But it's not required. It's not required for you to be in church every Sunday, right? I, I, I called somebody this week, so like Tuesday, I think, and they're not in this room, so it's good. And I called, I was just talking to them a little bit, and they said, man, I got scared when I answered the phone because I saw it was you and we weren't in church last week. I said, listen, I don't keep attendance, right? I try, to, I, I try to get, I try to say hi to everybody. And we're becoming a church where that's getting harder and harder all the time because this building's getting filled up, amen? I love that. But I'm gonna try to get to you as best as I can. But if you miss church on Sunday, you don't have to go home, you don't have to think about later that day and you see Joel Osteen pop up on the screen or you see our post from our, our, our church service and go, oh man, I miss church, I gotta go get saved again. No, you don't. You're saved, you go to church because you want to worship the Lord, because of you need the fellowship from other believers, and you want to you just want to get closer to God, and God blesses us for doing it. But it doesn't make you more saved or less saved, okay? And that's what's so essential about this passage of scripture: God's children have eternal life. Now, throughout the book of 1 John, and even throughout the whole New Testament, God gives us birthmarks, I call these birthmarks of believers or tattoos of believers, things that are true about your life if you have the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Let me give you a couple of these this morning. Number one, if you know Christ as your Savior, your, one of your birthmarks is you practice doing right. You just have a desire to do the right thing. <coughs> I loved when my dad was happy with me. I loved pleasing my mom when I was growing up. I liked it when my coaches were happy with me. For the few times that I can remember, I remember when my teachers were happy with me. I liked that. I, if, for all those in my marriage class, one of my love languages, words of affirmation, right? So if you're in that class, we've got a big, big party Wednesday night, hoagies, it's going to be awesome. But um, one of the things that, 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 that it's funny, as, as we're, ra- you know, our kids are all adults now and we're raising our grandkids uh, I, I spent some time with my oldest granddaughter this morning, Logan. She was in my office. She kept saying to me, look, Pop, look what I did. And she wants me to see what she did so I will not only acknowledge it, but so that I will compliment her on what she did. Oh, honey, that's a perfect stick drawing of me and Kiki. That looks so, so good. Never, never, never better, you know, or, or this is that, you know, whatever she's doing, if Tori's doing it, if Rosie's doing it, if any of my other grandkids are doing it, and I acknowledge it, they just light up and they're like happy that, that I see what they're doing and I'm giving them those words, right? And here's the thing about having a relationship with God. If you have a relationship with God, there's something inside of you 
something inside of you when you are obeying the Holy Spirit where you want what you do to please God. I don't think as a believer we walk around going, man, how can I PO God today? I'm going to be mean to people. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do this wrong, do this wrong, do this wrong. Because I really want the judgment of God on my life. Nobody would ever say that. But I guarantee you, if you whisper a prayer in the morning on your way to work or when you're eating your breakfast or when you have a quiet moment with the Lord and say, God, please help me so that everything I would do today bring honor and glory to you. And here's what I say about my life as well when I pray that prayer. God, help me not to get in the way of what you want to do through me. Because I get in the way. Anybody else get in the way of their own life sometimes? Like, like, like tripping over my own feet. I get in the way of what God wants to do sometimes. I got to remove myself from myself because something inside of us, we should have a desire to please God. Here's the second thing. The Bible says believers don't practice sin. 1 John 3, 9, those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them, so they can't keep sinning because they are children of God. And here's what God, God is so good to us, knowing that after we accept Jesus Christ as Savior, we can't live a perfect life from that point forward, right? He knows that we're human. Now, that's not an excuse for bad behavior. Romans chapter 6 and verse number 1, Paul said, what shall we say then? Shall we continue to live in sin just so that grace multiplies? And then Paul says this, God forbid. How can you and I that are dead to sin continue to live in that sin, right? So this is what the passage is saying here in 1 John. Because we know Jesus as our personal Savior, something inside of us, it's called the Holy Spirit, which is part of the Trinity of God, is going to say to you, dude, you shouldn't have done that. How many of you know what a guilt trip feels like? Right? And I'm going to tell you something. Sometimes Christians, especially those with baptistic backgrounds that haven't been set free, understanding the full, understanding of the Holy Spirit, uh, which Baptist people can too. We're not hating, I promise you. Whew. Anyway, um, when, when Holy Spirit conversations get talked about, people get, oh boy, here we go. Ed's going to start doing some dancing up there, doing something crazy up there. No, I'm just telling you what the Bible says. God gave us his Holy Spirit to reveal truth to us. You can't accept Christ as Savior without an understanding from the Holy Spirit of God. It's you being obedient. When you sin, the Holy Spirit's going to do something in, in, in your heart. It's going to convict you, right? And, and he's going to show you that that's not right. And you know, if you're a believer this morning, you know exactly what I'm talking about, where you've done something, and it might not like happen instantaneously, right? He may kind of hold off and like the Holy Spirit may do this passive aggressive thing where he waits a little bit and then he just like, <laughs> like just drops this like this truth Jesus bomb on you when you're like, oh man. Now listen, religion teaches you God wants you to feel bad about everything you've done wrong. Jesus wants you to understand that his Holy Spirit is going to convict you of that sin. Not so you feel bad. God doesn't walk, want us walking around feeling guilty all the time. He does that so that you will confess that sin because he is faithful and just to forgive you of that sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He reveals that to you. Hey, Ed, you sh Kevin, you, sh you shouldn't have done that. You're, I think your list is longer than mine, probably Kevin, right? I doubt it. But So he says to Kevin, Kevin, you shouldn't do that. Now listen, in 1 Thessalonians, Paul has this verse that says, quench not the spirit of God. What does that mean, quench? Does that mean don't give him a drink of water? What does that mean? Here's what it means. Don't say no to the Holy Spirit when he's talking to you about stuff you need to do in your life. Ed, you got you to confess that thing. God's plan is better. You know you shouldn't have done it. 
I want to forgive you. I want to bless you. Get your stinking stuff together. So we got to get back on track of me working through you because here's what happens. Sin becomes a block of God's blessings. Sin becomes a block of our effectiveness with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we say yes to the Holy Spirit, ask God to forgive us of our sins. He removes it as far as the east is from the west. And the Bible says, and he cleanses us. So we're clean, right? Like we were the moment we accepted Christ as Savior. So we don't, we practice doing right. We don't practice sin. Here's another one. We love one another. 1 John 3, 14. We've said this probably 30 times at different points throughout this whole summer. If we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves. Let me say that again. If we love our brothers and sisters, our believers, it's proof. It's living proof that we have passed from death to life. But a person that has no love in them, I don't have the ability to love. I don't love them. I don't love. I don't love. I don't. That, you know what that means? That means the presence of God is absent from you and you never had a relationship to begin with. That's just what the Bible says. Birth, another birthmark of a believer is being born of God. Yes, we love one another. Dear friends, 1 John 4, 7. Let us continue to love one another. It's this repetitive teaching thing we talked about. Love one another, love one another, love one another. Don't you get tired of hearing that sometimes? And you know what's funny? If you've heard that a bunch of times throughout the summer, maybe you've heard it more than other people have because maybe you've need to have heard that. Because every man and every woman in this room has HDL, HTL people in their life, hard to love. There's just some people when you see them, you go, Ugh. do you have anybody in your life that makes your kind of BP go up a little bit when you see him? Yeah. Stinking guy. Mm, mm, right? And you put on the gospel glaze. Hey, how you doing? God bless you. You know, <laughs> you know, you know the gospel glaze look that you have when you go to church in the morning? You're fighting with your kids in the car and you're mad at each other's husband and wife. But when you walk into church, right, we got Jesus all over us, right, because we sprayed him on right before we came in the building, right? And, there, and a repetitive learning. If uh, being born of God, it's a re- being born of God, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. If you know God, a natural circumstance in your life will be that you, here's, here's the key, learn to love one another. I know when I accepted Christ as Savior, I didn't jump up and start hugging everybody, right? Because you know what I started to understand when I got older? And, and when I say older, wherever you are in your life, somebody told me this week I was middle-aged, I wanted to kiss them. Because middle-aged means I'm going to live to be 112 years old, which would be awesome. <laughs> I would love that. Dave said, you're, didn't you, don't you say you're going to live to be 130, 120? So you're kind of middle-aged too-ish, right? Okay. I, the, the, the older I get, you know what I start to, I'm starting to understand about myself? Not, not how much other people are hard to love, how hard I am to love. Like I say to my wife all the time, especially after our, our, our Wednesday night marriage stuff, we're not just repeating stuff. Like we talk about it, we talk about it before, we talk about it during, and then afterwards. I, I said to my wife this week, I said, I, I got to tell you something. I just don't know how you love me as much as you do. Like I can't be easy to love. Like, I know that, like, my weirdisms and this about me and that about me and this about me and that about me, and she's such an affirming person. She says, yeah, you're right. But, um, <laughs> but it really is true. And, the, the, right, the older you become, the more self-aware you are. Now, think about that when it comes to your relationship with God. In spite of everything, like all the secret stuff that nobody else in this room knows about, God knows all of it and loves us more than anybody in this room could ever imagine, Right? 
So when we're born of God, we love one another. And here's another great, great thing to understand. When we're, another birthmark of believers, we can overcome the world. For, uh, 1 John 5, 4, for every child of God defeats the evil world, and we achieve this through victory of our faith. All right, here's number three. As a believer, something God wants you to know, and I'm almost done, hang with me, God answers our prayers. But here's the significant part of that, of him answering our prayers. He wants us to pray with a clean heart. 1 John 3, 21 and 22, dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence and we will receive from him whatever we ask because we're obeying him and doing things that please him, right? We gotta play with a clean heart. We gotta pray with the right motives, right? Uh, the right motives, may your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not, dear God, please take those people out because they're really bothering me right now. That's not a God's will prayer, right? It might not be God's will for you to be rich someday. It might not be God's will for even a sickness to be taken away from your family. It may not be God. I, I can't tell you what God's will is. I do know this. When I'm praying to him with the right motives, Father, be glorified. Please. Last night when Katie was in the hospital, we didn't know what was going on. You know, she had an appendix thing. An appendix isn't like, you know, a, a, the worst thing in the world. A lot of you have gone through that. But you know, if it's your family member, your daughter, there's a little extra worry that's going in there. And then the doc, you know, then you hear these things. Yeah, we just want to make sure it doesn't burst because this, 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 and this. Well, that, when he said that, Lord, please keep your hand on our girl. She's given her life to you, and we want you to be glorified because of this. Right? We want, we want to see God do things. And, and God, God wants us to pray for healing. God wants us to believe that he can heal. Isn't that right, Miss Janet? God wants us to believe that and claim that in Jesus' name. But he wants our hearts to be pure about it, our motives to be right about it. Uh, we, we know that God answers prayer. We pray with the right motives. We know that God answers prayer when we pray God's will. Again, may your kingdom come. May your will be done as, as it is in heaven. And God wants us to pray continuously. Never stop praying, it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number 17. Something else God wants you to know this morning. Christians should not live for sin. What we ought to be living for is giving God honor and glory in our lives. Verses uh, 16 through 19 uh, of 1 John chapter 5, as we head towards the end of the chapter, if you see somebody sinning in a way that, does not, that, 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 that doesn't lead to death, pray for them. God will give that person life. But there is a sin that does lead to death. And I'm not saying you should pray for everybody that commits it. All wicked actions are sin, but not every sin leads to death. We know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning. It ought not to be something that we're living for. That's very, very important for us, church. Here's, this, here's another thing. We need to know that we need to know and defeat our enemies, and our enemies are Satan, the world, and our flesh. God gives us the ability to overcome our enemies. First John, First uh, Corinthians 10, 13. The temptations in your life are no different from what other people have experienced. God is faithful, and he won't allow a temptation, a temptation to be more than you can stand. When you're tempted, he's gonna show you a way out that you can endure. God graciously forgives us of all of our sins, as I read for you earlier in 1 John 1, 9. Here's the greatest part about when we understand sin. God is greater than it. Sin's not bigger than God. He sent his son to die for it, to pay for it, to remove it from you so that you can have a relationship with him. Here's the last thing and I'm done. God wants you to know that the Christian life is real. It's real and it's something worth living for. We know that the son of God has come and he's given us understanding so that we can know the true God. And now we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with his son. 
Jesus Christ. He's the only true God. He is eternal life. Dear children, keep away from anything that might take away from God's place in your hearts. He's done the letter. I'm all done. 1 John 5 is done. Mic drop. But he wants you to know that if you're living for Jesus, it's a life worth living. You're going to struggle. You're going to doubt. People are going to hurt you. You're going to hurt others too. There's always forgiveness. There's always love. And there's always a path. When we start talking about what we're going to talk about next week, there's God's way. And there's a verse in, there's two, it's actually written two times in the book of Proverbs. There is a way that seems right unto a man, but in the end thereof are the ways of death. If we follow what this book tells us, what this specific book, 1 John, tells us, God gave his son so that you can have a relationship with him. God desires to forgive you. God desires to work in and through you. And God wants to give you purpose with your life. If you've messed up, 1 John 1, 9. He'll ask and he'll forgive you. If you're doubting, 1 John 5, 11 through 13. He gave us this so that we would know that we have eternal life. We need, listen, you don't just need 1 John throughout the book of the summer because I, that's the series that God put on my heart. You need the principles of 1 John every single day. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Take the words that we've learned, right? Don't just repeat them. Pastor Ed said it, Pastor Ed said it, Pastor Ed said it. I heard somebody say it, heard somebody on the radio, heard a preacher say it, read it in the book this week. No, take these truths, pray over them. God, help me to understand that I will always have a relationship with you because I asked, because you forgave, and because you told me I would. Ask these things in Jesus' name. Pray in his name and apply these truths to your life so you can be in a process of becoming the man or woman. 56 years old, um, accepted Christ when I was 12. I hope I'm better today as a believer than I was when I was 12 years old. I know that for sure. But I've done a little bit of this, right? I want to be on this trajectory where I'm getting closer and closer and closer and closer to God because I want my Father to be pleased with my life. And I hope that that's what you want for your life too. Let's pray this morning. Father, we just thank you that your testimony, your word, your words are true. And you're reliable. And there are so many things grabbing our attention in the world today. So many ways our foundation is, is uh, getting rattled. So many ways that... That, that we doubt ourselves, that people cause us to doubt, that people even cause us to doubt you. But I pray, Father, in heaven today that we would latch on to these truths like, um, like you told the, the, the early children of Israel in Deuteronomy. Latch on to them, write them down, put them on your fence post, write them up in your house, keep them in front of you so that you won't forget. Thank you that you... Un Lord, and the, the great thing is that you've written it over and over and over and over again and you've forgiven over and over and over again and you're patient and you're loving and you're gracious and we desperately need that. So we thank you for that this morning. We honor you today and pray that you're honored by the things that we talk about. Help everyone in the room. Help everybody in this room. Every man and every woman take steps today to be more like you. We ask you this in Jesus' name, amen.